Welcome back. Um, it's good to be back. This talk that we're going to be doing, this final talk, is called The Hope of Christ, A New Pattern for Desire. Um, the outline I'll be going through, if you want to have it in your head, is how Christ is the pattern breaker of that old pattern, how he gives us a new power and what that new power looks like, and then what is the new pattern of belief that we can put on instead of see, covet, take, and hide? What does it look like? That's the pattern of unbelief. What does it look like to walk in newness of life and to take hold of Christ's power in our daily lives? Um, the question really before us is how do we change, in some sense, what we desire? Not to lessen our desires, but how do we change to desire better things? When my son came into the world, he has always been a rather picky eater. I did my best to try to make all my homemade baby food and all these purees. And any time that child saw anything green, he spit it out of his mouth. It was like he just knew there had to be something better out there. And he was waiting for it. Well, sure enough, on his first birthday, um, his Aunt Dottie brought him this cupcake. And this cupcake had a huge pile of blue frosting on it. Well, now blue's kind of close to green. So I thought maybe he's going to tentatively approach this cupcake. Well, sure enough, the cupcake was placed in front of him. And rather than tentatively go at it, he immediately smashed his entire face into this cupcake. And he proceeded to suck every bit of that green frosting or the blue frosting off um, the cupcake. He had found his heart's desire at last and probably was like, my mom's been keeping this from me. But um, he did not have to learn to love a cupcake. He, it came quite naturally to him, as do most of our worldly desires. It's really easy for us to desire the things of the world. They come quite naturally to us. But just like it would not be loving of me to let my child live on cupcakes, because in the end, it actually doesn't sustain him, the Lord loves us too much to let us try to feed on the things of the world. Because essentially, they're like that cupcake they're never ultimately going to satisfy us. Thomas Akempis says it this way, you cannot find complete satisfaction in any temporal gift because you were not created to find your delight in them. Even if you possessed all the good things God has created, you could not feel happy and glad. All your gladness and happiness rest in the God who created those things. God does not want us to miss out on the true feast. So he is going to help shape our desires for something better. And we're going to see how Christ did this for us. He wanted something better. And so he fought the tempter. And what I love about scripture, it's always amazing to me when I'm reading scripture, because we know that there were many human authors who were writing these different passages but it's just so clear there's one author. And so we saw Eve, and we saw her in the Garden of Eden, 
And then we saw this parallel account of Achan in the promised land. And now we're going to find Jesus in a very different set of circumstances. But it's another parallel account. And it's a beautiful picture of how Christ is the new and second and better Adam. And he's going to redeem the world for us. And so we're going to look at him as the pattern breaker. Um, And so the first thing I want us to do is look at the circumstances that surrounded the temptation of Christ. And I'm going to be in Matthew 4, 1 through 11. If you want to turn there, I'm going to be just talking through it. But the first thing I want you to remember are the circumstances of Eve's temptation and of Achan's temptation. So we had Eve was in the Garden of Eden. She had plenty of other food that she could eat. She had companionship. In fact, she had the only perfect man who ever existed, and she really had him. He was perfect, perfect companionship. And she had a wonderful location. She was placed in a cultivated garden. And then when we jump to the promised land, Achan was entering the land they'd been waiting for for 400 years. They'd been waiting and longing for that day. We're told that they had just begun to eat the produce of Canaan. And if you remember what the produce was like, the men had to carry the grapes on two big sticks because the grapes were so heavy. So he was well fed as he went in. He went in and every one of his companions who went into the promised land with him, they all obeyed. He actually had positive peer pressure as he went in. And they were in this wonderful place that they'd been looking for. So Eve and Achan both had the benefits of location, they had the benefits of companionship, and they had the benefit of food. When we look at Christ, we're going to see the circumstances are extremely different. Christ is out in the wilderness, he is by himself, and he is hungry. He's been fasting for 40 days. This comes to us when we look at his circumstances. What I want you to see, it is not because of circumstances that we obey or disobey. We so often want to say, if this hadn't have happened, then I would have obeyed. But the reality is, it's like God is trying to highlight Christ obeys in the hardest and most difficult of circumstances. In fact, I think that one of the most humbling verses in all of Scripture is when Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. You see, the reality, I want you to think my temptation is pretty special, and that's why I have a reason to disobey. Because what I'm facing is so hard and so difficult. If anyone else were facing these children today, they would have yelled at them too. You know, we want an excuse for why we disobey. But the reality is all the temptations we face are common. And so what Christ does, he enters circumstances that are actually uncommonly hard. And he still obeys because he wants to show us that obedience flows from belief, not circumstances. So the second thing is the nature of Christ's temptation. Satan is going to tempt Jesus in three ways, and this is in that Matthew passage. He tempts Jesus to prove he's the son of God by turning stones into bread, which is particularly mean since Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. 
Secondly, he asked Jesus to throw himself off the temple to prove he's the son of God by the, so the angels will come to protect his fall. Thirdly, he tempts Jesus with all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor if he will simply bow down and worship Satan. And at this point, essentially, Satan is offering Jesus the kingdoms of the world without the cross. And so we have Jesus being tempted, not just in physical ways, but in spiritual ways by Satan. And essentially, I love how Matthew Henry summarizes. He says that Satan was seeking to tempt Jesus in the following three areas. To despair of the Father's goodness, to presume upon the Father's power, and to alienate his Father's honor by giving it to Satan. Basically, we're in very different circumstances, but we have the same sort of temptation that what Satan did to Eve, which was to cause her to doubt God's goodness, is he really good, is he holding back, and his sovereignty, will God really do what he has said? And he pulls the same tricks with Jesus. And the reality is the nature of temptation doesn't change much for us. Satan will often take God's word and he will twist it. And he will say, if God really loved you, wouldn't he give you the thing you desired? Or I'm sure God's law isn't really important. He, God just wants you to be happy. These are the things that Satan will twist, that God's goodness must be defined by our understanding of God's goodness rather than God's understanding of goodness. And so he'll twist it, and he'll make us doubt that God is good and that God's word is really true. And then thirdly, how does Christ fight against Satan's devices? What he does, and we all know what he does. We've probably all studied it before. Rather than follow the path of Satan, Jesus comes back to him each time. It is written, it is written, it is written. He not, he not only knows God's word, he believes in it, and he stands on it time and time again. And if we are going to be women who fight the attacks of the enemy, we are going to have to be women who know and love God's word. We can know a lot about God's word, but we also need to have a deep affection for it. I love how the psalmists describe their delight in God's word. You know, they really looked at it as a blessing. They looked at it as beautiful. They saw it as God's gift and God's grace. They didn't see the law as something that was chasing after them all the time. They saw it as a good thing to follow. And that type of affection for God's law is going to help us to obey when temptation comes. And it, it will come to all of us. So Christ perfectly obeys. He breaks the pattern of temptation in the, in the wilderness. And then we know he dies on the cross. So his perfect life was met with his willingness to be the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. He was the only one who could do what he did because he was the only one who was perfect in every way. So the perfect sacrifice took all of the sin of the world, of all who would come to know him on himself, and he died in our place. And so that 
In that moment, he gave us victory over the penalty of sin. Here's the good news for everyone who is in Christ. It would be unjust for God to punish a sin twice. It would be called double jeopardy. You know, it'd be like he's, he's already paid the price and now he's going to pay it again. So the good news for all of us, if we are in Christ, the payment has already been paid. God will never expect that payment again. Being in Christ frees us from the penalty of all the sins that we've committed. We are free in him. The good news, though, is not just for our eternal situation. The good news is for our earthly situation. We're also freed from the power of sin. Now, we aren't completely freed from the presence of sin yet. That will be what happens in heaven. But the power of sin does not reign over us in Christ anymore. We are no longer slaves to sin. Now, we may go back to it, but we are not enslaved to it. There is freedom in Christ that is new and that is real. And so what I want to do is read a few verses that help us see what Christ's power in us does. And I want to stress that this is very different than us trying to be women who pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and walk around and say, I'm just so happy all the time. I'm just so happy all the time. That is, that is not the type of joy we are after. That is not the type of contentment we are after. We are after a contentment that walks in the fire and says, Christ is enough. This is the hardest thing. What I don't want you ever to think is that being contentment, being content means we do not share that there are truly hard things. If you look through all the New Testament, Paul shared about hard things. How do we know he was shipwrecked and beaten and bitten by snakes and all? Because he told us. He wrote to people about the hardships he endured. And the hardships were not just physical. He talked about his anxiety for all of the churches. He talked about his fears that he faced. And yet he also could say, I'm content in all things. So it's not a dishonesty about our circumstances. It's a reality that in our circumstances, we can say, Christ has been enough. It is well with my soul. So that's the goal. We can freely share what is hard. And at the same time, trust in the Lord and all that he is taking us through. So there are four things I want to look at that Christ's power allows us to do. The first is understand the love of Christ for us. I actually think one of the greatest problems for us is as women, we just don't believe we're loved. We think other people out there are somehow more loved and more special to God. And it actually takes his power at work in our hearts for us to believe. Listen to what Paul prays for the Ephesians. This is Ephesians three fourteen through 19. He prays that God would strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge 
that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. When Paul writes to the Ephesians, he is writing to believers. And yet he prays this, that they may grasp how high and wide and deep is the love of Christ. Pray that you would grasp how high and wide and deep is the love of Christ. It will change your life to believe that you are truly and deeply loved. And you are. Your Savior left heaven. He left glory to come and walk among us, to live for 33 years outside of that glory. He clothed himself in humanity and dealt with all the indignity of wearing flesh so that he might be shamed and humiliated and put on a cross. And he did it for the joy set before him, which was you. That is how much you are loved. Let that fill you to all the fullness of God. That's what we need reminders of daily. We are deeply loved. Secondly, Christ's power in us allows us to live a life worthy of the Lord. This is from Colossians 1, 10 through 12. This is how Paul prays. He prays that they would live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience, grateful, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. In this, Paul is praying that Christ's power would give them great endurance and patience and joy. Um, I heard a podcast about a year or two ago with Johnny Erickson Tata. And if you know her story, um, she was paralyzed from the neck down um, when she was a teenager in a diving accident. And she talked about how God calls some people particularly to suffer in such a way that they are suffering so deeply, but they do so with such hope that they shine like spectacles of glory. And what she described it as, she described it as what happened to Moses when he saw the burning bush. The burning bush was in the middle of the desert, and it was on fire, and somehow it wasn't being consumed. And she called this a spectacle of glory. It made Moses turn and look and say, how is it burning but not being consumed? It made him look in wonder. And she said, some of us suffer in ways that will make people turn and wonder at our God. How is she being burned but not being consumed? And it is only through Christ's power at work in our hearts that we can endure in such a way with patience and joy. It is nothing in us, and it is everything in him, and it makes the world stop and look and wonder. The third thing, Christ's power gives us everything we need. If you need a verse that will help you remember that you are free from the sin of coveting, it is this one. It's 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. Again, it's 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. Listen to it. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness 
through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Hear that last sentence. Escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. That is what his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. This is freedom from the, for the captive. His divine power, the word you need to say to yourself when you find yourself tempted to, to fall into these sins is his divine power has given me everything I need for life and godliness. I can escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. It is true, and we can call upon Christ in the truth of his word. The last thing he allows us to do is to overflow with hope. We should be the most hopeful people. We are not people who are naive. We are not people who are looking at this world and saying, oh, it's all good. It's not all good. It's not all good at all. But we are women who can walk through a world that is broken and fallen, and we can still be people of hope. Paul says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think we are often like women standing before the ocean. If you picture a woman standing before the ocean and she is desperately thirsty and she's holding a cup in her hands. And if she took that cup down and she picked up the ocean water and she got ready to take a drink, we would all say to her, don't drink the ocean water. Because we know that the ocean water actually would not satisfy her thirst. It would actually make her thirstier still. And if she kept drinking it, she would actually die. It's incredibly bad for her, even though the ocean looks refreshing. And the ocean in and of itself is not a bad thing. The ocean is a great thing if you're a fish. The ocean is a great thing if you're a child and you want to play in the waves. It's not that the ocean is bad, but when we use it to try to sustain and fill our thirst, that's not what it was created to do. And when we go to the world asking the world to give us hope and to give us joy, it will never be able to. It's going to be like drinking salt water. We're just going to get thirstier still. So when we go to the things of the world and again and again and again and again, all we find is that we come away thirstier still. Instead, we need the power of God at work in us by the Holy Spirit to fill us with hope. There is no other place to get it. And his power is available to us. Now you may hear those verses and you may think, did I miss out on this power when I came to Christ? Because these things don't seem true of my life. How do we take hold of the power that is promised to us in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? The reality is, just like my cell phone has to be plugged in. My cell phone has a lot of power. But if it's not plugged in and it's not charged, it is completely and utterly useless. It is a little box that can do nothing if it does not have power. 
And in the same way, when God created you and me, he created means by which we will take hold of his power. There are means of grace by which he grows his children more and more into the image of his son. And let me just encourage you with the verse that Gail read as we started this session. When Paul talked about contentment in Philippians, I love the word that describes what he says about it. Paul said, I have learned the secret of contentment. It didn't just descend upon him the moment he came to faith. He learned it, and he learned it through the strength of Christ at work in him. And so I just want to remind you, if the last time you learned something a few years ago, my kids convinced me. I don't know if you have these things called ripsticks here. They're basically like a trip to the ER in a box is what they really are. And my kids convinced me that I needed to learn how to do this with them. And so there are these little skateboard things that wiggle. So I watched them do it. And then I asked them a few questions. And then I got on. And then I fell off. And then I got back on. And I went a little further. And I got back up. I continually did this. And by the end, I had learned how to ripstick around the tennis court with them. But it took trying and failing, trying and failing, trying and failing, and asking a lot of questions. If we want to learn contentment, it's going to take asking questions. Look at older women in your church who you see. There are these women, and I tell you, as they age, they grow more beautiful because they shine Jesus and they have a spirit about them. And you know, you probably can all think of one right now. And they shine. And I tell you, anyone who's made it to 75 has seen trouble in this life. They're not shining because it's all been easy. They're shining because Jesus is alive in them. Go to those women and say, tell me how to learn contentment. Reach out to the older women among you and say, how do you do this? Ask for help. And then get up on that ripstick and try again. <laughs> Keep trying. It's something we're going to learn and it's something we're going to grow in. Um, and so I want to give you four ways, four ways that we can put on a new pattern of belief and take hold of Christ's power at work in us. Um, re- so we had the first pattern was see, covet, take, and hide. The new pattern is going to be seek the Lord instead of see, desire rightly instead of covet, give generously instead of take, and confess freely instead of hide. I'll read those one more time. So seek the Lord instead of see, desire rightly instead of covet, give generously instead of take, And then confess freely instead of hide. So the first thing, rather than see all the world has to offer, we need to change what we're looking at. Let me encourage you to be women of the word. I am telling you this not because there is an angel up in heaven with a star chart who is keeping track of how many days you read your Bible. 
There is no angel with a star chart. We need to be women of the word because we are forgetful creatures. We are women who are deeply loved, but we are women who often forget that we are deeply loved. We read God's word not because we need God's favor. We read God's word to remind us that we are favored. God loves us, and we find out we need those reminders daily from his word. On the night before he died, Jesus gave these words to his disciples. This is John 15. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. What I love about this passage, these are the words that Jesus is speaking to them. These are the last words he's speaking to them before he will go to the cross. And Jesus, our Savior, is concerned about our joy. I have spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And what he knows is that the world can never give the fullness of joy that they will look at. He gives them exactly the course saying, here's where joy is. And he says, abide in me and my words in you and then obey my words. That's the pathway he gives them to fullness of joy. Abide in me and my words in you and obey my commandments. We, again, are not doing that to earn God's favor. We are doing that because by the Spirit, we are freed to run in the path of his commandments. He sets our hearts free to love his law, not to earn salvation, But because we have been saved, we can walk in newness of life. The second thing. So firstly, we seek the Lord. Seek him in his word. Seek him in his people, in the church. Seek him in every way that you can. Secondly, desire rightly instead of coveting. Um, When I say this, I think often as women, we desire too little out of life. We want lesser things And God wants to give us better things. There's a popular book right now in the States that's under the Christian label. And the author talks about creating a desire wall. And on her desire wall is Fortune 500 business plan. There's a picture of a condo in Hawaii. And there's a picture of Beyonce. And that's what's on her desire wall. Let me say, those are lesser desires. Because you know what? If you get the condo in Hawaii without contentment, there'll be something that will make that really not fun to be there. There will be something wrong in everything of those things. You can make it to the Fortune 500 list and be the most miserable person in the world. That's exactly why we see all of these people who get fame and fortune and then they turn to drugs because guess what? The fame and fortune did not fulfill them. 
desire better things? What if on our dream wall we put different messages to ourselves? Like, I want to glorify God and enjoy him forever. My dream wall, I want to learn contentment in all circumstances. My dream wall, I want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Dream better dreams. Don't let the world define your dreams. Let the Bible define what is fullness of joy and what is good. The second thing, every day we're talking to ourselves. We're telling ourselves things. So we need to consider what we consider. One Puritan author gave these five things to help us grow in contentment. The first one might be the toughest in Northern Ireland. Allow yourself to complain of nothing, not even the weather. (laughs) The second one, never picture yourself to yourself under any circumstances in which you are not. Third one, never compare your lot with that of another. Fourth one, never allow yourself to dwell on the wish that this or that had been or were otherwise than it was or is. God Almighty loves you better and more wisely than you love yourself. The fifth one, never dwell on tomorrow. Remember, it is God's and not thine. The heaviest part of sorrow is often to look forward to it. The Lord will provide. When I think about this considering what you consider, I like to say it's really helpful to take a very short view of your circumstances and a very long view. And by a short view, it's asking yourself, can I bear this longing? for today. Can today I bear the reality that the Lord hasn't given me a husband or a child or a job or healing? Can I bear it for today? Because that's all we're asked to bear it for. We actually have no idea what tomorrow will bring. Then the second question I like to ask myself, in light of eternity, can I bear this? And the answer is usually yes. In light of eternity, that one day all things will be made right, I can bear this. It's often when we think to ourselves, can I bear this for two more months, that we get ourselves in trouble. But we have to bear this for today. And then we look to eternity and we say, all things will be made right there. I need to hope in that home and not in this one. And then lastly... I think we need to consider how we pray. So often I know that I pray in a way that I want everything to go. And it's good. We're told that we can bring all of our requests to the Lord. But Jesus, when he taught us how to pray, uh, he did teach us to start in a certain way. Our Father, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I think we often pray, Lord, may my name be hallowed, may my will be done, may my kingdom come. Notice what Jesus did in the Lord's Prayer. He essentially set our desires on the right thing. Our desire should be that God's name is glorified. May his kingdom come. May his will be done because it's always better than what I would plan. Thomas Akempis describes that passage in this way. He prays it. Listen to this prayer. 
that is coming from those verses. Lord, you know what is best. May your will decide what shall be done. Give what you will, how much you will, and when you will. Do what you know is best for me. Do what pleases you and brings your name the most honor. Put me where you will and deal with me in all things as you please. I am in your hand. Turn me backwards and forwards. Turn me upside down. Here I am, your servant, ready for anything. For I have no desire to live for myself, but only to live perfectly and worthily for you. Desire like that. Dream bigger dreams than just a condo in Hawaii. Ask the Lord to give you contentment in all things and to trust him in all things. And then thirdly, instead of take, we need to be women who give generously. And I think the secret to being a woman who gives generously is viewing ourselves as a steward of our lives rather than an owner of our lives. A steward takes what is given and is held responsible for what is given. And this is true not just of our possessions, but of the people in our lives. So when I look at my husband or my children, I do not own them. In fact, I can do nothing to make them stay alive one more day than the Lord has given them. And that is terrifying in so many ways. But I can steward what he's given me. I can love them, but hold them with open hands before the Lord and say, they are yours, Lord. And I am here. I'm called to be their mother and I'm called to be my husband's wife. Let me do that well while I have them. But they are not mine and I do not own them. And my possessions, my mom and I like to go antique shopping. And when we do, we walk through the aisles and we see all these possessions that were once people's treasured things. And they're sitting in a big warehouse and they're for sale. And I realize one day all of my junk will be sitting there for sale somewhere. And it makes you think, you know, it really doesn't matter if the youth group is over and they scrape up something or they spill something. It's just going to get to the junkyard one day. So we can steward the things we've been given without feeling like we own them. And that's going to allow us to be women who give generously to others. And then lastly, rather than hiding, we become women who can confess freely. There is so much freedom that comes from confession. And so we can go to one another in this sin and say, my heart is not right. I am bitter and I am angry. Pray for me. We can go to one another. We don't have to hide. Sometimes I think we go into our prayer request time and we hide through all the circumstances of our life. Rather than just confess that what I need is a heart transformation more than I need a circumstance change. It's okay to pray for our circumstances. It's good to pray for things like healing and for a spouse and for children and for a job. Those are good things to pray for. But we can also pray that the Lord would allow us to walk in the wanting in a way that gives him glory and honor as we do so. And so we can confess to one another. James says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So we can go to one another and share faithfully. 
As we put on this new pattern of belief, I do not want you to think it will be easy. Um, The Christian life we often think of should be easy, but it is described in Scripture as a battle, as a race, and as childbirth. None of those is an easy endeavor. It is hard to walk That's why there are so many passages. It's almost like in Scripture we forget how many passages are there reminding us to endure, to keep going, to stand. Because we are going to be in need of great endurance to walk the Christian life. And so the good thing about a battle, on the other end of a battle, we're hoping for peace. On the other end of a race, we're hoping for the finish line. And on the other end of childbirth, we're hoping for new life. So while these endeavors are hard, they are full of hope. So while the Christian life may be difficult, it is full of hope. Something better is coming. So we can hold that treasure in these jars of clay as we walk through this world. I shared a little bit about my story of when I was in Scotland and how the pattern of see, covet, take, and hide kind of encrusted my heart. And I'll share that the Lord thankfully rescued me um, out of that. And it was by this exact opposite pattern I was reading my Bible and seeking him in his word, and I came to Psalm 32.9, which says, Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. And it was as if the Spirit quietly whispered to me, That's you. (laughs) And I realized by God's grace that I was the mule who had no understanding but was being controlled by bit and bridle. I had come, but I was come, coming tugging at every turn. And the Lord met me in my sin, and he convicted me, and he worked on my heart. And we, my circumstances did not change, but everything about how I viewed my circumstances changed. The word is powerful and effective. I wasn't in that passage for any other reason than I was reading the Bible through an ear. He put me in that word on that day, and he changed everything about our time in Scotland. The word is powerful and effective, and God will speak to you through it, and he will change you through it, and he will give you life to the full and through it. Do not waste your life on the TV show that's on. Put yourself in the word of God and find life and find it abundantly. There are so many riches here. So many riches in his word. May we be women who feast on the goodness that is Christ. And may we share that hope with all the watching world. I'm going to re- close with this quote from St. Augustine. How suddenly comforting it was to lose the false comforts of the past. I had long feared losing them. Now it was a joy to throw them away. 
Truly, it was you who put them far from me, my true and supreme comfort. You put them far away, and you set yourself in their place. Christ is better than what this world can offer. May we be women who run to him in everything. Let me close in prayer. Father, we thank you that your word is powerful and it is effective and that you have come to us to rescue us and save us by your spirit and that you have come to give us life and give it to the full. Let us be women who walk out of these doors with hope and with joy and who are women who fight, fight to take on this new pattern of belief. Lord, let us be women who, though the battle may be hard, though the race may be long, and though sometimes it may feel like we cannot bear it one day more, may we be women who take hold of your power and run the race of faith day after day after day, sustained by the grace of your Holy Spirit. Work in us, Lord, we ask. It's in your name we pray. Amen.